She Opened the Door, a podcast where I speak with women who have opened doors for the rest of us. I'm your host, Sylvia Young. This episode of She Opened a Door is sponsored by podcast supporter Karen Talamelli Kuzik. Today's guest is Jerry Burton, living her best life in Nevada. Jerry takes us behind the scenes on her advocacy journey, leading her state chapter of the National Organization for Women. Once known as a casino capital of high-heeled cocktail waitresses, Nevada is now legally sensibly healed and the 37th state to ratify the ERA, the first with expanded language, and home of the WNBA champions, Las Vegas Aces, and on its way to set president with proposed legislation I co-authored named Empower Pupils Women's Health Training. As the World Cup kicks off, Jerry discusses Title IX and how watching women and girls sports is a game changer and why she's committed to expanding education equity to ensure menstruation isn't silenced in schools starting in her state. You can find her cheering on her local teams or working in coalitions driving change, but today she's spending the afternoon with me sharing her highlight reel. This is how one mom opened a door. Hi, Jerry. Thanks for joining me today. I know you're a huge supporter of Title IX. Before we jump into that, can you share a little about your journey into advocacy and who inspired you? Sure. Um, so I'm the co-executive director of the National Organization of Women, the Nevada chapter. And I first, I was in my 40s raising kids and I saw this television, uh, it was a news article or a news show, and they were talking about they were letting out someone in California, but the understanding was the guy, he'd break someone, he had to come to Las Vegas and, and get away from California. They were sending him here. And I, I'm not an activist at all. I, I'd done some things when I was a kid with environmental activism, but I thought, well, my goodness, I'm going to call the National Organization for Women and they'll do something about this. So I give them a call, the local chapter, and um, Anne Galanka at the time was the president. And she's like, We'll come to a meeting and we'll talk about this. And, you know, I envisioned this large group of people making all this change. And, you know, it was the typical 10 women, you know, in a, in a meeting. Um, and, you know, she ended up, you know, making some phone calls. And I'm not sure that she did anything about it. But while I was there, she said, join us. She took me to lunch, made me feel important. And within a year, I was the president back in the when I was in my 40s. So uh, then fast forward to my 60s. And when uh, Trump took over, I became president again, because some people, you know, the chapter kind of, it come, it come and go throughout the years. But with Trump becoming president, people were saying, we've got to get this more active. And I became president again. So we worked back then when I was, when I was president and Ann was president. Uh, one of the things we were really proud of is some women came to us about carrying these heavy trays as cocktail servers and they had to wear high heels. So back in the day in Las Vegas, where I live, you know, they had to dress up and they had to wear these heels and teeter around with these big, heavy trays. And at first it sounded so trivial, but then we started hearing about their health problems. They were bringing pictures of what their feet looked like and how much you know, they, it was ageism because you get only a young person can keep all that up. So we did this whole, um, with other groups here in Las Vegas, and we ended up getting that changed. And now if you go into casinos, you'll see women are wearing, we call them sensible heels, you know, but the men were allowed to wear Adidas type 
Adidas shoes, you know, tennis shoes back then and, and still wear, you know, no heel shoes, obviously. But, you know, it was one of those things that really got us involved and uh, kind of got our name out there. And it was, it was, uh, we were really proud of that. I haven't heard of that. That's an amazing piece of policy that would be so unique to where you live. Yes, it was. So that's the policy that you started with when you were at Nevada Now then. Yes. And it, and it was bringing like media attention. And um, and then the policy actually was with the hotel itself. I believe it was the MGM at the time. And but now when you walk into casinos, you'll see that, you know, that they I probably I should I have friends in the union. I wonder if it's even in their in their policy. I'll have to check. And so you weren't you didn't start out as an activist. You just came upon this. And and then what what made you go from you know, thinking this was someone else's problem that you would just tell Nevada now to you actually becoming engaged and then starting to lead? I think I'm like a lot of women. I, I was uh, an activist when I was in high school. I went, I did Youth Conservation Corps, which back in the day, you would actually go for a month or two. Um, we went up to Tahoe and we planted trees and picked up garbage. And, you know, so I, I and learned about the environment. So back then I was very interested, but then I got married and I had kids and, and like with a lot of women, we don't have that kind of time. So I think I just realized I needed to do something. And so I, I took the time and it's just been something, I, I think some, some of us just feel like we need to make a change and don't always have that availability. And and then to meet Angolanka and and to have the chapter, you know, it was just something that, you know, got me started. And and like I say, I, it kind of, um, I did it for a few years, then supported the chapter through the years. But then with Trump, it was like, okay, I've got to get more active again than I, I think we got complacent with Obama. And for sure we did. Yeah. We and I realized how bad it could get, right? I got, definitely got complacent. But, um, you know, when they started like that first women's march, we had one here, you know, at the actually ours wasn't a march. It was well, the first one was a march. And the second one we had out at a stadium because it got bigger in the second year. But so I, I've been involved off and on throughout my life. But really, in the last six years, we've built the chapter to, you know, people know about us around the country now. So. On this podcast, we're really focusing on women who have opened the door for us. And I'd like to know who who inspired you, because when we do fall upon advocacy, we don't have, you know, a blueprint and we kind of come upon the blueprint and we get inspired by different people who are doing things that we maybe are attracted to or feel engaged or compelled to walk in that direction. So who are some of the women that open doors for you? Who's inspiring you? And and who do you think that maybe we should know more about that we don't? Yeah, no, absolutely. So uh, what really comes to mind and when I really, I think I became a better activist was when I met Senator Pat Spearman here in, in Nevada. Uh, she is the one who, on the federal ERA, was the one who got Nevada going again and, and we ratified in 2017 after it had been dormant. Activists will tell you it wasn't, it wasn't dormant. There were a lot of people working on it, but it wasn't in the public eye. And Senator Spearman decided that Nevada needed to, to get that going again. And so we did, uh, she got us going and got us ratified in 2017. So meeting her and hearing how she felt that was going to help with pay equity and all the, the things that 
having women in the constitution would make a difference. She's the one who got me and I consider myself an ERA activist on the federal level. And then, you know, we'll talk more about my state ERA that we did, not mine, our Nevada Nails and Nevada's. But then I also, I was watching a show called, it's Ann Curry did a show, We Meet Again, and she has lots of different people on. And there was a woman, Zoe Nicholson, who had fasted for the Equal Rights Amendment in the 80s. And she was looking for Sonia Johnson, who had inspired her to uh, go to Illinois. And, and back then it was, Illinois was the last state to, before the kind of had the lull and the, the deadline what happened So for this ERA. So I see this woman who fasted, I mean, the 36 days, I think it was that she fasted and I mean, almost, you know, died for something. And I, I said, I have to absolutely have to meet her. And so I went to Long Beach where she lives and had, you know, a meal with her and we helped each other through the pandemic. We've been friends and activists together um, ever since. And she inspires me every day. But then the, the other person I was thinking of the three um, recently and with our state equal rights movement, uh, Kate Kelly came and uh, she is in D.C., but worked with uh, Vote Equality in Virginia. And they gave us money to wrap a vehicle for our state ERA. They sent Kate Kelly out to basically live here for a few months. And she's a, a big equal rights movement um, advocate, you know, on the national level. But She's also the one that's really bringing attention to how LGBTQ rights are important in the Equal Rights Amendment. And Zoe as well, you know, talks about that. But what Kate is doing is getting young people together. Like there's a young group, youth group called Generation Ratify. And they're having, this year is the 100 year anniversary of the ERA being presented in Seneca Falls. And they're having a big event this coming weekend for uh, for that. So she's the one who's kind of bringing attention to youth and LGBTQ people being involved in this movement. So there's just so many, I mean, I think that's one of the great things of being an activist and, and working on the Equal Rights Amendment is these mostly women that I've met that have just inspired me and, and become friends. Oh my gosh, I'm going to look up some of these names because I've got to admit, I'm not familiar with all of them. But that's speaking with new people and networking and and uh, growing my network and growing who I know. So thank you for even sharing who inspires you. Um, obviously, Zoe is someone who is inspires me as well. And hopefully a lot of people are more exposed to her. She was the guest on my first podcast. I love to hear about your work with uh, Nevada Now and especially with the ERA. Can you let us know what you did with Nevada and the ERA and a little bit about, A, how you were instrumental in the organizing of this and what that entails? We're very proud of it. So Senator Spearman and uh, Senator Nicole Canazaro, she was the majority leader, decided someone said something to, to Pat Spearman, Senator Spearman, um, well, it's not even in the Nevada constitution. And they're like, they looked at each other and said that it needs to be right. So they in our Nevada um, in Nevada, our legislature meets every two years and then it had to be on the ballot. So they passed it twice in our first we are to have the first female majority legislature in the country. So that certainly helped. Wow. Awesome. That's great news. <laughs> We're very proud of that. And we say it often. So that made it, you know, we had women supporting it and, and the, you know, the testimonies and, and getting it passed through the legislature. And then it had to go on to the ballot. 
And so I started and with some of the people that I've been working with getting coalition of people together who wanted to work on this because I didn't, you know, I, I, okay, so now what, you know, we passed it. It's going to be on the ballot. Who takes the ball and gets it on, you know, and uh, Planned Parenthood was instrumental in, in helping get the, the funding and, and getting this, the structure of it. And Nevada now who's all volunteer really took the activism piece of it and got coalitions to work together and went to, you know, we had, we had a truck that was wrapped with ERA art and we went to, I, I think it was like, I don't remember how many events, but it was like 40 events where we would go be in parades or be at every like table at everything. I mean, the governor at the time was uh, Governor Sisolak. He was campaigning and I hid joke with me about I, I'd see him again every event. We should just ride together because <laughs> we were everywhere. And so I, I just want to quickly tell you what our our why we're so proud of our state ERA or Nevada State Equal Rights Amendment. Ours has really expanded language, and there are, I know of three, and I think there'll be more other states who are are now working on the same for theirs. So that makes us really proud. So ours says, equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by this state or any of its political subdivisions on account of, and here's the best part, equality for all. So it's race, color, creed, sex, sexual orientation, gender identity or expression, age, disability, ancestry, or national origin. So we would just basically tell people we're just getting equality for all. And most ERAs, you know, it's just on account of sex, which is important, of course, on the federal level. But we're really proud of of that. And then that we worked in coalition with Culinary Union here and the SEIU Union are the two big ones. And both are headed by women. And they supported the ERA, put it, state ERA, put it on their walk cards. And, and then a lot of the progressive groups joined. And, and so we just had a, you know, it, we've had a really great coalition of people working on this. Now has been working on the ERA for a really long time. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about how now started? and what the organization is about for those that aren't familiar with now. And also people may think now isn't still around. So maybe just when now came to Nevada and what that looks like. Yeah. So uh, the National Organization for Women, um, it was founded back in 1966. They had, I think it was 20, I was making some notes about 28 women in the third national conference of commission on the status of women in June and then they had another 21 women um, and men who became founders. And what they said was they needed something similar to the NAACP because they just weren't getting anywhere with equality. And it was mostly um, at that time about pay equity. And and but then they ended up with the, the six core issues. So they, they knew the Civil Rights Act of 1964 was supposed to help women with discrimination, but they needed to, to, to put a group of people together to work on, on and represent women. We work now to, of course, include um, LGBTQ people, um, you know, trans people, women of color are definitely becoming more members of now. And, we, you know, we're working on that. But Betty Friedan and Polly Murray uh, wrote now Statement of Purpose, and they wrote it at first on a napkin, and then they went and had the meeting, and they were in a hotel room going, this is ridiculous, we're not getting anywhere. And then they they started the organization. So now has six core issues. So it's reproductive rights and justice, economic justice, ending violence against women, racial justice, 
LGBTQIA plus rights and constitutional equality. So everything, but I always say every issue is a women's issue. So but there isn't really anything we can't, environmental issues are obviously women's issues. It's it, it's literally everything, but those are the, the core issues that the chapters are supposed to work around. And we have chapters in every every state. Nevada now is the only one in Nevada. Um, you know, like California has several different chapters. And so it's all over the country. It, it's very active. We're still around. We're still doing the work. And your work with Nevada Now brought you to the ERA. And now it's bringing you to Title IX. Can you please explain, because this is what today's podcast is about, Title IX. What brought you in Nevada Now to have interest in Title IX and expand upon it? Why should we care? What can we do? What are you doing? So the way it happened for us is we were working on the State Equal Rights Amendment. We were going to all these events and we were like, we have a couple teams here, women's teams who are doing really well. And one of them is the Las Vegas Aces. It's uh, the basketball team here, the women's team. And they were doing really well last year. And we were, you know, working on, we thought we'll bring some signs and we'll, you know, talk about pay equity. We'll tie it into equality. We'd seen what was happening with the women's soccer and, you know, Megan Rapinoe bringing attention and, you know, them working to get equal pay in soccer. So we thought it'd be a fun way to bring attention to equal pay and, and go to the games. Then they won uh, the WNBA championship last year and we went to that. They had a big thing on the strip and we took our pay equity signs and and we're in that. And, and then we started going to UNLV, the, the university here, has Lady Rebels basketball game and basketball team. And we thought, let's, you know, let's go to the games and, and do the same, you know, to bring some attention to it. But they they were winning as well. And UNLV men's basketball is very famous for their teams they've had in the past. And, and a lot of people go to the, the games, you know, the men's games, but not a lot for the, the women's games. It was starting to get attention because they were winning and we were going to the games. And there, but yet we've noticed that they weren't getting attention in the media, that on the local paper of the Sun, they would be on the third page when they won. And the men's UNLV team would be on the front page, even though they had a pretty dismal record. So it was like, well, this isn't right. So we started bringing like social media and bringing attention to it. And next thing, and you know, Sunder Cosgrove at vote, vote, uh, Nevada votes. Next thing you know, they were on the front page. And I don't know if it was our tweeting or our you know attention, but we were like, oh, look, it's on the front page. So, you know, it's just bringing a, a attention to these, you know, great teams that are doing great things and um they weren't getting the coverage and then we've learned you know like you talked about with with title nine you know it's increased the opportunities for women in sports and girls in sports but we know there's so many areas that you know they're not getting the pay they're not getting the media coverage and and we're seeing that here you know with our las vegas aces who are again on the top this year as well and starting to they're selling out at the play the stadium that they play, they're selling out games, and yet they're paid, you know, horrifically different than men. You know, and why Brittany Griner went to Russia was because the women's basketball, they're just not paid, you know, well at all. And they're having to go overseas to make, you know, they can make a million dollars playing in Russia, but then, you know, they can get kidnapped. And, you know, obviously that's not a good thing. So 
So can you explain the correlation between the importance of getting media coverage and how that impacts um, the money that is available to women in sports? Yes. So that is what we're trying to bring you know, attention to right now, because we know oh, when you talk to people about going to the games, they'll be like, well, no one goes to the games. No one watches the games. Well, they they are. They are going to the games. They are watching the games, but they're looking for like. So yesterday they had the WNBA All-Star Game and a lot of the players from around the country came here and the coach of the Las Vegas Aces was one of the coaches. And so it, you know, it got a lot of attention, but it was on ABC yesterday. So, uh, you know, on, uh, you know, it's on national television. So it, it's starting to get, you know, inroads and people are starting to watch it. And um, if you get a chance, you need to see Hannah, Hannah Waddingham from uh, Ted Lasso. She has a new uh, push to watch women's sports. I think that's the hashtag. And, you know, she's saying the same thing that we need to get out and watch. It's first of all, it's fun. It's wonderful. But also we're supporting women and pay equity by doing that. And just just real quick, the salary cap for the NBA is one hundred and thirty six million. So they, they can only that each team can only have so much money. Right. There's one hundred thirty six million. WNBA is one point four two million. So one hundred thirty six to one point four two. Uh, they just they're not getting the money anywhere near. It's I think they said that like 204 times what women are you know doing in in the sports. So it, it's fun activism to go out and watch the games. And you know we're talking about maybe going and having watch parties and bring attention that way. You know go to a bar. There's a lady in Oregon. You'll have to look up. She has a place called the Sports Bra. And she bought a bar and only plays women's sports. And she's like really successful. She had a booth at the WNBA event yesterday. So, you know, there's just lots of ways to support it, but it's important because they're not going to get the pay or the media attention unless people start, you know, doing that, watching the World Cup for soccer and, you know. I love it. This needs to be a franchise. And what you're saying is there's a way for each of us in our everyday lives, in our local communities, that we can actually help push this forward on the grander scale by doing just a very small action. That's phenomenal. And it's right at our fingertips. And, you know, social media is such a big deal, especially with young people. Put it on Instagram or, you know, whatever you are that, you know, there is social media and it gets shared. And and I just think that's, and then, you know, take a picture of yourself at a game and, it's just an easy activism, but it makes a huge impact on on opportunities, like you're saying, for youth, you know, for girls in sports. And and then, you know, if they see it, they if they I think they have a whole thing about if they see it, they believe it, they believe they can do it. And and so that's the next step. I I we have a friend whose daughter is playing in high school basketball here in Las Vegas, and so we're going to start going to the games and and bringing attention to to girls in sports because that's where it starts, right? The opportunities. Absolutely. And there's so much that you can learn through team sports. I know that Title IX is about education as a whole and and having equal rights in education. 
And we hear mostly about the sports, but then I don't want to just focus on the actual physical of the sport, but there's a lot we can learn from being working in a team, um, pushing ourselves to our potential, the mind-body-spirit connection that we may not have had exposure to prior to Title IX. Well, I agree with you. And the other thing I've noticed with, with women's sports that at least my experience so far is how women work together and support each other. One of the things the Las Vegas Aces, who are, they have several prominent players, they talk about how they work together and they're not trying to have one star, that it's all of, you know, they support each other. Asia Wilson is like the face of it a lot of times, but the others are just incredible. And uh, again, I've become this huge Hannah Waddingham fan, but she had said something. um, She said, my father, who's quite old fashioned, an 82 year old traditionalist, brilliant and brilliantly and surprisingly informed me that he prefers the women's game because they actually play as a team. And it's not about the one star. And she said, you know, I think more people need to see this and, you know, go to, see how women work together. And I think that's, you know, again, going back to like women in in, in uh, politics, I know my experience and by no means I'm sure is a perfect, but with an all women legislature, majority legislature in Nevada, it's majority, the types of bills and the types of things and the way they work together is just different than, than when it's majority men. You know, we don't always get an opportunity to nurture that in girls in the education system. So I think that that is something that just having the availability of sports to boys and that kind of way of learning how to work as a team and push yourself and and let things um, slide easier. And just there's a whole mindset that you learn from from sports that it's great that girls are getting that exposure. And it's not just, you know, they used to say in the old days, oh, she's a tomboy or she's a lesbian or she's acting like a man and she plays like, you know, or throws like a girl. I mean, there's been so many things wrapped up in sports and stereotypes for girls. So this really just um, changes the entire landscape. And I feel like what you're saying with, let's gather with our friends and go to these sports activities I mean, this is like the new book club, the book clubs we used to, we still do. We gather with women, we push ourselves, we learn more, we kind of break down those boundaries and we can do that as well in a social setting that is um, supporting sports and supporting equal pay and supporting uh, girls in education without it feeling like it. It just feels like a good time. And we, like you said, the students or the players watching that support, what that does in, in, in turn as well to their self-esteem, to their confidence. It just is like the advocacy that just keeps growing in and of itself, right? It just is kind of like a love ball that just keeps expanding. And it's it's not hard. No, it's fun. Yeah. Anyone can do it. Anyone can do it. Um, unfortunately, and fortunately, going to women's games is, is less expensive. So <laughs> Like I mean, we hopefully that'll increase in, in pricing, but you know we can go to a, a you the Las Vegas Aces for like ten dollars, you know, a ticket. Where obviously with a lot of things in Las Vegas, they're hugely expensive now for concerts and that sort of thing. But um, but it is, it's, and I think it's also like a you know if you have a group that doesn't necessarily do activism, like you say, a book club for women to go and spend time together. It's, it's a fun activism. It's team building, you know, for like, if you're in a 
company with a bunch of people. It'd be a fun team building um, event. So I think there's, you know, we've really had a good time with it. And um, I grew up in a sports family. My uncles were coaches here in Las Vegas. They're, one has the fee of the football fields named after one at a high school and, and UNLV baseball fields named after my uncle, Roger Bernson. And I was around that all the time, but it was always men's sports. I'd never, you know, my family was around men's sports. And so it just wasn't something that I, I mean, I went to when I was a kid, but I never really did. And I've had people say to me, okay, what is going on? You don't even like sports, but like, but it's fun. And, and it, and it feels, you know, it feels good supporting women. And that's why we originally started doing it. And then to bring attention, you know, to our state ERA, but it's become something that, you know, we all, you know, what seat are you in? And and we, you know, take pictures with each other. And it's been, it's become a really fun piece of activism for us. Oh my gosh. I love that. It's really um, inspiring because like we said, it's something that everyone can do at the local level and it just ripples into um, how it can impact the community, um, the player and uh, the, the equity standpoint from a financial standpoint, because if we're filling those stands and supporting it, then they can't say no one's going to the games. I mean, we haven't, we literally each can take responsibility for that. Well, I, I know there's there's a few women who own teams. One of the the odd things that's happened, Mark Davis, who's the owner of the the Raiders, um, is is the owner of the Las Vegas Aces women's basketball team. And Tom Brady just recently bought in on the the Aces as well. But he built this practice facility that you just have to see pictures of. It's gorgeous, and they just they were playing. So I guess typically, you know, on the professional level, women end up playing in whatever you know whatever court they can find to practice in and uh, sometimes it's high school and you know they don't even have their own locker and you know they're just going from place to place well now they have this gorgeous facility and they're getting you know training and and they're saying what a big difference that's made to have that equipment and the training that like men get like men just assume they'll get when owned by big corporations and companies and and owners now they're getting they've got the money in there and and mark davis goes to every game he's sitting there with his white suit he goes he traveled when they travel to you know so to have that support you know and get that money from him we were we were surprised when he first bought it we're like "Eh." and then he's just been amazing so the investment in the team you know is is so important. And I, I just when you were saying that, I thought, what if you went to a, a girls soccer game that you knew a local, you know, young girls or a high school team and a bunch of you went and cheered and what, you know, what did really make a difference to them to see support from the community? And it's fun, you know, make you feel good. <laughs> Absolutely. It's fun. So um, I wanted to ask you a little bit too. So Title IX is not only important for the player, but as we know, it is an education bill providing equity in education. So if someone does come through that player route, what I love about this is also um, smashing the glass ceilings on leadership, management, and so forth in the world of sports. Whereas before, you know, maybe we could only have hoped to be a player. Now we can hope for much more. The potential is endless. So we're seeing more women at that level which is tremendous. Are you seeing that in Nevada as well? We are. And, and I think that is, is definitely, I, 
with the new show that 37 words, we watched it as a group for Nevada. Now we got together and, and watched some of it. And, and it reminds us how that has helped in our, our sports and in schools. Obviously now we know we need a whole lot more of that. So um, it's something that we're paying attention to. And I think we need, we need to remember that and start pressing for the rights that the girls and women should have in sports. I mean, Title IX, that's what it was for. So, and like you say, an education bill for education for women and girls. Well, and recently we've talked to how, you know, women are graduating from, you know, more women are graduating from college than men. And, and, you know, so obviously it's making a difference, but I think then the activism behind, you know, you can have equal rights, but to, you have to demand them. You have to make sure it's actually happening. That's what I was going to lead to. So thank you. Yeah, it's the it's one thing to have it be a bill, right? It's another thing to actually see it happening in your community. And you, like you said, we have to make sure it's happening and do our part. And also um, what I love about what you're doing in Nevada is you've kind of taken Title IX and the ERA and kind of seen what other bills kind of go into this equity area of education. And I know that you're supporting a bill that's very, very close to my heart as I helped author it called Empower Pupils Women's Health Training. Can you tell me a little bit about why you were attracted to helping with this policy? And I'm so thankful to have um, Nevada now behind this policy, and hopefully you set the precedent for us. Um, but can you tell me what even attracted to you to this and how you see the parallels in Title IX and a bill like this taking it even further? As we've talked about even today, but education is the key, right? We've got to, we don't talk about women's health. We don't talk about some of the, even amongst ourselves, the health disparities that that women have, that the, they haven't been studied, that, you know, I mean, we learned, you know, breast cancer wasn't even studied on, on women, it was studied on men. And as we talk, and, and that women don't talk about their own health issues, even to each other. So certainly, if we can start educating the youth on, you don't have to hide that you're, you're having health issues when you're young. I mean, we all know I used to, I work with men, all men, and I would take my period products and like, you know, stick them in the drawer. Like I had contraband or something. And like, I, I couldn't even talk about how I was on my period. I couldn't show any flaws. I couldn't miss days of work. We know girls are missing school or, or, you know, having to leave school because of their health issues, but they're not even taught at the beginning you know, at puberty to that, what is happening with their bodies? What, you know, it, it's all so secret and shameful, it, even now. So I think, you know, bills like we're talking about that, that are required to teach the health parts of women, women's health in school. I mean, that's where we start, right, is the education. Uh, we worked on a bill for um, period products in schools here in Las Vegas, in Nevada. The last session with Samantha Glover, a young, she was 17 years old up in Reno and um, found a, a legislator to handle, to take that bill. And that's how we first started working with her. And she would, you know, bringing attention to, you know, period products and, and missing school. And uh, so the education piece is is very important and and they're not going to have it in the curriculum unless we write a bill 
that that requires it and and is real specific on what is what is needed you know in in girls education and and not just girls education and boys need to know about it too <laughs> you know that that we need it to be in this, your your basic education and on health what I find is so interesting is the intersectionality of it all, really, because we, we're talking about education in Title IX, then we go to sports, then we go to health, then we go to periods, and we're talking about creating enough interest in the general public, and then businesses supporting it, and policies supporting it, and you know we're seeing things like sports team or tennis that change uniforms to accommodate for women on their period. I saw that. Brilliant. Why weren't we doing this before? So you could see how it's all connected. Right. I mean, that's, it, I think it was in soccer. No, maybe you're right. Maybe it was tennis. It was tennis was- or soccer. I can't remember, but I see it happening like across the board now. I think of the white skirts, you know, and, and imagine being on your period and being, you know, in an event and wearing a white skirt and you'd be worried the whole time that some, you know, I mean, you'd be worried that you would obviously that it would be seen on television or with the crowd i think that the the biggest thing i think when you when we're talking about education and having it in the curriculum is that we know that it's always kept so quiet and secret even amongst ourselves i I recently i mean i i've talked to you about endometriosis and recently i've had some friends who kind of secretly said just, I'm sorry, I just haven't been feeling well and I'm having some problems. And, and it turned out it had to do with, with their health. They didn't know what, you know, why they're in such pain, why they're having, you know, heavy, heavy periods. But even people that I know really well, they're not talking about it even with each other. And I imagine how girls feel in school. I mean, when we worked with uh, Samantha Glover on the the bill for uh, period products in schools, you know, that she was saying how many days they missed of school because of, of, you know, their periods. And also that they like just walk out of class and go home or text now, okay, can text, but, you know, text their friend to meet them in the bathroom with something, you know, because they didn't have, you know, products, any period products with them. And so it's just such a, a thing we keep so quiet. So it's like, like it's shameful or something. And if we teach it up front in schools when they're young, hopefully we can start making it not such a stigma to have something that is a natural occurrence, you know, in our bodies. And um, I, you know, I just think it's so important to have it in the curriculum so that that teachers are, you know, required to, to teach it, have good information, good um, science behind a lot of this. It's, it's something that's been missing, I think, certainly in my education and even as an adult. Uh, I relied on a you know, doctor to try to figure out what was wrong with me. And the more women I talk to, it's very similar how they, you know, they're they kind of whisper that they're having, you know, female problems and, and they don't want to tell people at work because they have to miss work. And I think it's so important to educate young girls um, on what's happening with their bodies. I think it's so interesting that your support of Title IX takes us to inclusion and it it provides us more space. But then you supporting a policy like Empower People's Women's Health Training really defines that space further for us. So we're not just trying to meet them where they are, but we're looking at what, what our unique needs are 
so that we can make more space, more appropriate space for girls and menstruators, but in sports or whatever you want to do, because as we know, the system is set up for men in every, you know, way, shape and form that if we don't, if we're not able to keep up, then we fall out. Instead, how can we create a system, right, that allows us to keep up with our own um, capabilities? Doesn't mean that we're less than, but maybe perform different than. So I really like that you are taking something like Title IX and then looking at other ways that you can look in education and further explore equity and women's health, especially when we're looking at the, the, the tie-in from body, mind, and spirit. It's, it really is missing because it can also, if, if someone is coming across, you know, they're now menstruating, they're not experiencing pain, they could have been on a way to, you know, achieving great things in sports and are now being derailed and don't know why. So this level of education, I mean, applies on, on so many levels, right? With, with girls that are just like not able to keep up. So I thank you for that, because um, a lot of people don't see it that way and think, oh, well, that's their problem. It's our problem. And I love that you've made it our problem. Well, I always say people won't do the right thing unless you make them. And I think that they they won't teach it in schools unless it's a leg- there's legislation to say to put it, especially in the climate right now where where um, it seems like it's going the opposite direction with supporting women and girls. But, um, you know, so with our Equal Rights Amendment, you know, putting that in the Constitution, in the state Constitution, that you have to have equality for all. So certainly having legislation that says it has to be taught in schools and, and then give good information. I mean, isn't that the most important piece is that good science behind it? So, you know, and it's kind of what I think when you said that, I was thinking it's kind of a natural progression for us with working on getting period products into schools and normalizing that to normalizing women's health and talking about girls' health and, and giving good information to them. And, and as adults, you know, we didn't have that and, and we certainly could use it as well. So it, it's kind of exciting to be working and passing some legislation for that. Well, I can't thank you enough for the work you do in Nevada now and how it inspires the rest of the, the country um, if not the world. So I really thank you for all the work you do. Now, if someone wants to get involved in coalition building, because that is so fundamental to what you do with the ERA, with any kind of menstruation policy, with any kind of any policy, um, and including Empower People's Women's Health Training, that's going to take coalition building. So for someone who wants to get involved at that level of policy, what does that look like? How do you get involved? You know, how does someone just from, I've never done any advocacy to, you know what? I think I want to get behind something like this. I'm inspired by Jerry. How do I go from just hearing this podcast to becoming the change I want to see in the world, right? Well, first they can check out, we have websites and, and uh, we have our website and we have social media. You can kind of see what we're doing that way. So it's nevadanow.org. And we're on uh, Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. But also you can send an email to me at Jerry, J-E-R-I at NevadaNow.org. I, I work with other people around the country on their state equal rights amendments. And the big thing, like you mentioned, I always talk about is the coalition building 
we we work with unions, we work with progressive groups and activists, and and that is the big piece. But the biggest piece of that, because how do you do that, right? I found and we were really successful with was going to people, not asking them to come to our meetings. So we've become uh, my co-executive director and I are on the board of the National Action Network now at Reverend Sharpton's organization. Robert Bush has a, a chapter here that's very active in the black community. We work with SEIU, the union, one of the Michelle Maese, the president is on our board. So we work in coalition with API and people and with LGBTQ people in the organizations. And, and we're fortunate there's quite a few progressive organizations in Nevada to work with. But that's what I always tell people is you've got to go to people and then you've got to do the work. You can't just go to a meeting. You've got to like, what can I do to become part of this and make change with them? And what kind of skills is normally can someone lend towards something like this? Well, I, I think it's, it's there's so many areas that whatever you're good at, right? So, I mean, I I think the coalition building is something that's it's uh, relationships that you build, and maybe you're good at that. Maybe you're good at fundraising and and reaching out to people for grants and money because that's always needed. Um, wherever your strength is, it's um, it's needed everywhere. And I think and men are involved. We all have our, our partners are all involved with Nevada now. Um, we have several men who come to meetings. And, you know, I think that it just about anybody can find something that they can be helpful with. And um, it whether it's just going to a, a basketball game and using your social media, you know, whatever it is that you can do that you and I think it feels good to make change. So find an issue that's really important to you. And uh, one thing about the naturalization of women is there, like we talked about, there isn't an issue that isn't a women's issue. So it might be environmental that is your thing. Whatever it, that is important to you, there's so many places that you can make a difference. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate that. And I hope that our listeners are inspired to dig into their community and see where they can make change, whether it's joining a local chapter of now or whether it's going to a game or whether it's reaching out to you to see how they can join in coalition to help get policies passed or take it to their state. I know you work closely with Illinois on on the ERA. So I think that level of coalition building is just such a fundamental piece to this. And I can really see the tie-in from Title IX and learning how to work in teams to and the strength that that gives us to coalition building. I mean, how do you put your ego aside and work for the 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 common good or the better good? But I can totally see the tie in there. So I think that all of it is pushing us forward. But when you reminded me, one thing I didn't mention, we worked with Virginia when they were ratifying. You know, we were the the thirty seventh state, thirty yeah, then. 36 state, then it was Illinois, then Virginia. We worked with Arizona and Virginia trying to find that last state, right? And Arizona still never hasn't ratified. We worked with them. But we actually, like, we uh, we knew that their legislature had to change. They had to get more progressive people in there, more women. And so we, like, adopted one of their candidates and had events here in Nevada to raise money. I flew out to Virginia and spent, spent some time there helping because, as always, it's, you know, five women in a living room doing most of the work. So I'm like, I have time. I'll get out there and come help. So I think there's ways, you know, that you can help other people 
maybe there's a in your state or around the country that are working on an issue that's important to you. You don't, it doesn't have to just be in your neighborhood. Another thing I want to touch base on is why the Empower People's Women's Health Training Policy is so important right now as we have certain states trying to roll uh, the clocks back on even speaking about menstruation in schools. So can you talk a little bit about that? What, what's at stake? I mean, we have one side of the country trying to push for legislation so we can say it in schools correctly. The other side of the country trying to legislate that right out. Well, yes, we're seeing around the country that they're trying to affect education, stop educating people on everything from, you know, race, LGBTQ rights, you know, transgender rights. And we know we're not talking enough about women's health and having something legislated, you know, to make sure that that is, is in our, you know, in our curriculum is important. I know in, in Florida, they're, they're, you know, they're banning books. So you can't even read about things to educate yourself. You can't even go to the library to get the information in some states there. We see that trend. So we definitely need to push for it to be a law that, that it needs, you know, that it has to be in, in the curriculum. That's why I feel so strongly about constitutional amendments, because if you have an amendment for like the state ERA, that is, you know, in our constitution now. And so it can't, you can't just have a, a new governor come in or a new legislature come in and change it. So same with having women's health and girls' health in the curriculum. You can't have someone change like the school board can't change, you know, change and then now hopefully wouldn't be able to take it out. I think that would make it where they, they have to have it in the curriculum, whether the a school board member thinks we can't talk about that in schools. That's fantastic. Well, Jerry, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. I'm a huge supporter of yours. I love the work you've done. And I will be liking and sharing your posts from all of these sports activities. I'm going to be in my community really intentionally seeking out to, to support girls sports knowing the trickle effects of that. It's I did not something I had even thought about before on how a small action like that could make such a big impact. So thank you for bringing that to our attention. Thank you for making sure that Title IX is alive in our hearts and minds and that we keep pushing the envelope forward for even more opportunity. And thank you so much for supporting uh, the policy that's so dear to my heart, as you know, because it takes just one person like you that really opens the door for others. So with policy like this, it's, it, it just completely changes the game for education. So thank you so much. Well, thank you for inviting me. And I, I'm honored to work with you on these issues. Thank you. Well, we'll talk soon. Thank you for joining me on this episode of She Opened a Door and meeting my friend Jerry Burton who continues to open doors in Nevada and nationally. This episode was recorded on Sunday, July 16, 2023. Maybe Jerry inspired you to find a cause you feel passionate about or reasons to support women's sports and pay equity. Maybe you live in a state affected by policy changes trying to silence the word menstruation. Wherever this meets you, I'm glad you're here with me as we meet more women paving the way for others. 
I can't wait to introduce you to my next guest. We'll be talking about hair discrimination and what she did about it. You won't want to miss this episode. So until next time, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Sylvia Young. This episode is sponsored by podcast supporter, Karen Talamelli-Kuzik.